After Mozart, Udo Jürgens is probably the second most successful composer from Austria, as he has composed more than thousand songs, sung about 800 of them himself, and sold more than 100 million albums worldwide. In Eurovision, he competed as an artist three times, as a songwriter four, and one of these times he won the entire competition. Sadly, Udo left us in 2014, 80 years old, so today I have invited his son, Jean Jürgens. What can he tell us about his father and his contribution in the contest, and how does John want us to remember his father? This is Eurovision Legends, and I'm your vegetarian Wiener Schnitzel, Emil Löfström. Welcome to Eurovision Legends, Jean Jurgens. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> First and foremost, most, I'm very grateful that you are willing to record this episode and remember your father together with me and my listeners. Well, yeah, I mean, this is one of the things that, that you have to do as a son, you know, it, with an incredible uh, father like this who has accomplished uh, so many things and just in the beginning has hit that one big thing with the Eurovision Song Contest, you know, then I think it's one of the things that um, you have to do, you should do as a, as a son, you know, and, and talk about it and keep the legacy alive, you know. Yeah. Totally agree, and I'm very grateful. If we take the Cliff Notes version of his biography, he was born in 1934 in Austria yes. as Jürgen yes. Udo Bockelmann. Genau, yes. Between the First and Second World Wars. Yeah. His mother came from Germany and his father from Russia. Yes, exactly. Born in Moscow to a German and a Russian woman. What yeah. was his childhood like? Oh, his, his childhood was actually... Um, sometimes not easy. He was um, not like the strong guy, you know, with a muscly guy, you know, like uh, he would always be like more the weak guy and, and have a lot of, um, how would you say, he, he would be um, ill a lot, you know, okay, like yeah. coughing and this and that with the ears. He had problems with his ear, with his hearing. And then things happened, you know, that one, one day he would be in the Hitler Jugend, you know, like with all the kids who were drawn into the Hitler Jugend, you know. Yep. And they had this one guy, 17 years old, who would, who would drill them, you know. Yeah. And one day he wouldn't act the way the guy would li like him to act and he hit him very hard with the full hand and he hit him right on the ear and he i don't know how do you call it inside the ear the trommelfeld it uh, exploded and it, he was bleeding out of the ear do you mean that he suffered from a hearing loss later in life yes exactly and this is the story how it came yeah that this this soldier hit him very hard on his ear and that that how his one ear got injured you know yeah yeah and very bad. He was bleeding out of the ear. He was a young child of, of nine or 10 years old. Then the, the whole war time was horrible, you know, in Austria, finding crash down airplanes with dead soldiers inside and all these experiences that he had, you know. Then he would go on a piano and, um, for example, play the sound of airplanes flying over their heads, you know, mm, yeah. over the house. And there, I think also there was a lot of fear and um, not all always great time. I think he also had very nice time in his childhood, but also the war time was heavy. Music came into his life early on, and I learned that he played the harmonica and the accordion as a child. Yes, exactly. Exactly, yes. Very early, very quick. And he began to stud study music at a Klagenfurt Conservatory. Exactly. Going back a little bit in time, he would learn those instruments very quick, you know, like yeah. Mundharmonika, harmonica, and these things just, he took it in his hands and he started playing right away. He right away could play things and he was like very quick. He would uh, entertain people in the house and the family and friends when they came over, he would play for them. And uh, yeah, and later on in Klagenfurt, he started music, yes. And he was exactly. a prodigy, you can say, like Mozart. 
Yeah, he didn't really like that, uh, but uh, of course, um, he he was special, definitely special. I mean, when when he was eleven year years old, he wrote that little piece of music, Waltz Musette. It's beautiful, and his father came into the room and he would play it and listen to him for a while, and then sit down next to him and say, "Whose music is that? What are you playing there?" And then he said, "Yeah, that's that's. I came up with this. I I I made it. Yeah. And this is the moment when the parents knew something special is going on here. You know. I learned that he finished his studies at a conservatory and worked in the fifties as a conductor, composer, and singer and arranger, and played several instruments in several orchestras and bands. But his stage name." During this period, was Udo Bolan? Yeah, he had a band. He had a band called Udo Bolan Band okay. or the Bolan Band or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And in 1956, he got his first record deal and adopted the stage name mm -hmm. Udo Jürgens instead. His second name was Jürgen. Yeah. Udo Jürgen Bockelmann, and yeah. they decided to just put an S behind the Jürgen, so Jürgens. The fact that there was a very famous actor at the time, Kurt Jürgens. Mm -hmm didn't do anything because this guy was an actor and not a singer. Yeah. Even later on, they were in a television show together, singing and, and, and entertaining people together. I don't know if you know, but Kurt Jürgens and Udo Jürgens together was very funny. Okay. He, Kurt Jürgens played in James Bond, the bad guy. Okay, yeah. In, in one of the James Bond. He was a very famous actor uh, at the time. Mm -hmm. However, yeah. And in 1956, he released his first single, Es waren weiße Quisentemen. <laughs> I'm horrible yeah. in German, sorry. Oh. I'm, no, butcher no, 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 I'm butchering no, no, no. your That's language now. That's not why now. I'm laughing. I'm, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not laughing. You're saying it great. No, no, no. Okay. Weiße Quisentemen. Yeah. It's hard to say. No, no. That's not why I'm laughing. I'm laughing because of the content, you know. Okay, yeah. The, the stuff that he would record. He was, he was not very, very happy with that, you know. No. Because he would sing, he would sing songs from other composers. Yeah. Or, or maybe compose the way they expected him to compose. Yeah. That particular song, I don't know if he composed it or somebody else. Somebody uh, else. But somebody else. Es waren weiße Chrysanthemen, die ich zum Abschied die gesandt. Es war ein stilles Abschied nehmen. Then ich ging in ein fernes Land. And so he was he was not really happy. The record companies always wanted to press him into a label, you know, into a into a form that he didn't feel that he would singing about the the white beaches of Athen in the Greece and the, the roses and the chrysanthemum and everything is so and the white boats in the ocean with the sails and everything is so oh so I don't know. Uh, I, my English is not very good, you know, uh, to express what, what I'm trying to say. It doesn't go very deep. Yeah, it doesn't really probably a, a bit lame, anything. maybe lame, and it, it it doesn't say say anything to the people, you know, some yeah. some sort of information, something that that moves him in, in his life. But yeah, that was his first, I guess singer so you have to start somewhere <laughs> absolutely and the song flopped but only two years later he got his first <laughs> okay. hit hejo hejo mm -hmm. jin undrom i don't even know that one so, sounds like a party song yeah it is And okay, the same okay. year he moved to Munich. And the 60s yeah. started well for Udo. Among many things, he got a world hit with Shirley Bassey and got yes. several roles in movies. But at yes. the same time, he lost his record deal with Polydor. And according to your father's website, he started to think of giving up his singing career and only compose to others. Do you know why? Yeah, because of uh, always people trying to push him into something that he uh, would not uh, be. Yeah. And maybe he didn't even 100% believe in his singing, you know, like his voice and the whole thing was not as strong as it became later in life. Yeah. His voice and the technique and all that. So he is very strong about composing and arranging and already at the time as you said Shirley Bessie you know I reach for the stars when I reach 
but also there was Matt Monroe, there was uh, Nancy Wilson in America, yeah. because another winner of the Eurovision Song Contest, uh, Ralph Siegel, yep. he, his father was a, I don't know the right word in English, but he would, Ralph Maria Siegel would be with a suitcase full of songs, go, go to America and offer it to people. Yep. And this is how the music came to America. So Udo came to America as a composer because of Ralph Maria Siegel, who brought the songs over there okay. and offered it to, to singers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he would have top 10 hits and, and all that in the American world, in the Latin American world. And, and very interesting. And all of a sudden the money started coming in and, and things started become better. Yeah. So he was really thinking about uh, doing not so much uh, singing himself. Yeah, that's true. Well, gladly he never did stop singing and is Instead, got a new contract with Montana. And in 1964, exactly. he took part in the Eurovision Song Contest with his own composed song, Warum nur Warum. Right. Warum nur Warum. Beautiful song. Yeah. And this yeah. is also the year you were born. Exactly. That's my, my uh, year of, of birth. And he, I don't know what, uh, was it, what was that his first appearance at the Eurovision Song yes. Contest or yes, second? Nope. I think first. it was the first yep. one, right? Because he did it three times and exactly. he, he did place, place five, I think, right? Uh, he placed He six. came in fifth. He placed six. Or six. Yeah, because he came two, in songs, two songs placed fourth. Ah. Warum nur, warum muss alles vergehen? Warum nur, warum bleibt gar nichts bestehen? Du gehst von mir, schaust dich nicht um. Gib mir die Antwort, warum nur, warum? But, but Warum No Warum uh, was also song sang by, by Shirley Bessie or some great American singer. Yeah, absolutely. It was became a, a huge very hit. beautiful song. Yeah. Very beautiful, very beautiful. You were born one month and one day before the contest, to be exact. Okay. Did you and your mother join him in Copenhagen, where the contest was held? No, no nope. way, no way, no way. No, uh, because he did all this traveling uh, at that time, even at the later appearances and all that. Pretty much always alone. Okay. Because there was no sense of dragging around little children um, to to big fest. You know, he had to totally concentrate on what he was doing there. And um, my mom took care of me and later on my sister in, in here in Munich. And um, he would do the traveling and, and go after his business and what he's doing. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately not. I would have loved to go to Copenhagen. Uh, I should, really should do that one day. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. It's there, a beautiful be city. Honest. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, I really have to do that. No, uh, Udo and his song was chosen internally by a committee. Do you know if he ever considered another artist singing his song, or was he set on performing it itself from the start? I don't know. No, no. I think uh, his management and all them, they said, you, you go there and you do it. Sit on the piano and, and do your thing. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if he considered giving it to somebody else. At that time, I think the idea was to give him the kickoff as a singer and the only chance, not the only chance, but the big chance to reach that goal was, of course, to go into the Eurovision Song Contest, whether you win or not, but you're being seen all over the world from yeah. uh, people who love music. And yeah, and so that was the plan, I think. Italy won with Gigliola Cinquetti and the song Nono Letta. Mm. While your father got a sixth place, as we said before. But the song became okay, a okay. huge hit. It became the biggest hit from that huge. year. Not only yes. in the German-speaking countries with your father's version, yes. but also around the rest of Europe mm -hmm. and in mm -hmm. US since... Uh, Monroe, exactly. Yeah. Yes, yes. He himself got a second place that year in Eurovision, but his wow. song never became a hit. So instead he covered your father's. <laughs> Walk away, please go. Before you throw your life away A life that I 
could share for just a day. And Amazing, I believe that yeah? this was one of the things that led to your father getting the honor to compose for Frank Sinatra later. Yes, he, he well, I don't know if he did it for Frank, but but he 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 composed they maybe thought that song would suit him good. It was it, it was in Frank Sinatra's drawer for a long time and he wouldn't do it. Okay. So Frank Sinatra gave it to Sammy Davis Jr. and he would do it. Okay. And Sammy Davis Jr. did the song and he made it his personal that song that he did would always finish his concerts. Okay. He would always use it as the last song in his concert. Yeah. Um, there's an amazing story to that too, uh, but maybe I can tell that story later on. I think we are still in a Eurovision Song Contest time now. Well, then I say that the following year, 1965, he was approached again from the Austrian TV company, mm-hmm. ORF, mm-hmm. to compete in Eurovision. But before mm-hmm. we talk about his song, Sag ihr, ich lass sie grüßen. Sag ihr, ich lass sie grüßen, yep. yeah. I wonder, did you know that he submitted a song to the Italian song contest San Remo 2 this year, who used this competition as a pre-contest for Eurovision as well? Oh, okay. Ooh. His mm-hmm. song was titled Abracciami Forte, but it, it never won. But he could okay. actually have compete for two countries in 1965. Oh, I didn't even know that. See, I'm learning from you now. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, the contest Amazing. in 1965 was held in Naples, in Italy. Had yes. your father mm-hmm. told you anything about his memories from this year? Well, I think he had also, uh, um, I think that was the time when he has a, a serious breakdown. Because things are, I don't know if that was the, uh, somewhere in Italy, I remember he had a serious breakdown and was very unhealthy. Because at that, at that time, these guys were living rock and roll, you know. I mean, we're talking about... Uh, partying all night, drinking, smoking. He was a heavy smoker, staying up all night, sleeping all day, you know, doing the whole rock and roll thing. Yeah. And yeah, that, that brought him to a point where he would totally break down in his health and he would have to realize that he would have to change something about it. Uh, I think that was around that time when he did uh, change things about his, uh, you know, nutrition, not, not drinking that heavily, cutting down on the smoking and and all that because he was really over the top, be in his late 20s. Yeah. And strangely, because this I think is very strange, he never brought a conductor to Italy and instead used Gianni Ferrio, which was the orchestra's own maestro. And I wonder mm-hmm. now, did do you think that he really tried wholeheartedly this time to win the competition, or was he mostly looking to get a new world hit? Poof. Uh, we never really talked much, uh, if if any, of that time. That that's I, that's the time around when I was a baby and very small. And yeah, late. you were you were two years old. <laughs> you you are deeper. You are deeper in in these subjects than me. I must really admit. I'm 58 now, you know, become close to 60. And this is a very long time ago, you know, and yeah. I must admit that I, uh, his intentions of how he would, and you always have to uh, consider there was a management behind him and they would discuss things. Are we going this way? Are we going that way? I'm sure you're coming to that point, but he would appear at the Eurovision Song Contest a third time. Yep. The following year. Yeah, but are you done? Are you done with the second time? Because I don't know much about it. Uh, no, but, but I know uh, something about the third time. <laughs> yep. Uh, but can I just say okay. before that? Yeah, of course. The winner from 1965 was Franz Gall yes. and a very modern okay. song by the standard of oh, France, those France times. Gall, yeah. the French singer. Yes. And your father got a fourth place. But despite mm-hmm. that, he improved his placing from the previ- previous year. The song never mm-hmm. became a hit. Outside Austria. Sag ihr, ich lass sie grüßen. Sag ihr, es geht mir gut. 
übrig nicht von den Tränen und wie weh mein Herz. Even though he recorded it in other languages. Yeah, that's true. Forse sarà così. But do you think that he was there to win? You always go to win. When you do something like this, you you go, you're not go, you know, you're going to to win. But maybe it was just the, the wrong pick of song, you know. It's a beautiful song. Sagie, ich lasse grüßen, a beautiful song. But maybe it didn't connect so much with the rest of the world, you know. Yeah. Warum nur warum had this incredible international touch to it, you know, and. Uh, Uh, yeah, so, and also the, 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 in the third Eurovision Song Contest, we are going to talk about it in any second. That song too had that international touch. You know? So it's a different, Sagi, ich lasse grüßen, maybe didn't, it was the wrong pick, you know, but yeah. you always go to win. Um, and for the third year in a row then, uh, your father represented Austria in Eurovision in 1966. Was it on a row, really? Yes, was yes, it, yes, uh, yes. Like... 64, 65 and 66. Ah, I always thought maybe there was a year in between. Okay, 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 cool. But this time the TV so company me. really had to beg mm -hmm. because your father wasn't interested at all no, to compete. No, he, he didn't want to do it. He was done. Yep. He was over. And uh, he really didn't want to do it. And not only the, the, the as you say, the television station and, and all the responsible people are, were fighting or, or trying to get him back on. His management too, you know, like, come on, Udo, a third time, you know, if you don't. He says, no, this is it. Two times and uh, no. But they got him, they turned him around. Yeah, but, but because from what I've learned, he accepted to compose something that Austria could send. And when he was finished with the song, he understood that he probably had composed a song that could actually win the entire competition. Okay. Do you think that's true? Is that a true story? Um, tell me the story again. I've learned that he yes. accepted to compose a song that Austria could use and sing with another singer. Uh, use as, as with, with him, with him, oh, with another no. singer. Yeah, uh, yeah. And when he was finished ah, with also, the song, uh, he understood that he probably had composed a song that actually yeah. could we're win. We're talking about Merci, we, we're we? talking about yes. Merci Cherie. Yep. That could be a true story. That could be a true story. He, he had a, a very fine sense of what, what was inside the song and that could maybe, he would, then not give it away to somebody else, you yeah. know, then he maybe decided in the end, you know, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do this myself, you know, and I'm not going to give that song somebody else. Yeah. That could have been the reason why he said, okay, no, one more time, I'm, I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to have a chance here now. That's very possible. Merci, merci, merci für die Stunden, chérie, chérie. My dear friend called Tobias Larsson, who has a very successful blog about Eurovision, where he writes about each and every song from Eurovision, wrote that in Luxembourg because the competition in 1966 was held in Luxembourg. Uh, your father was mm -hmm, paralyzingly mm -hmm. nervous and understood that he mm. risked appearing like an eternal loser if he did not win this time. I know. And when a German newspaper on the final day wrote that Udo Jürgens had no chance in the competition, his manager mm -hmm. went all over Luxembourg and bought up all available copies to prevent your father from seeing the article. Yes, Do you mean that this amazing story is true? Yes, it is true. It's true. I know it. The manager, Hans R. Bayerlein, heard from that, that uh, headline and bought all the newspapers <laughs> anywhere close to him yeah. to just to make sure that he would not read that and get him clean into that show and be like all 
knowing what people may be writing or thinking. Yeah. yeah. And as we all know, the German newspaper turned out to be wrong. And your father won a landslide with his song Merci Chérie. Yes, yes. And this became the first ever victory for Austria in Eurovision. And was actually yes, the only one until Conchita Wurst won it 48 years afterwards. Exactly. Uh, yes. What did mm -hmm. this victory mean for your father? Well, first of all, I think he, he, he did a very nice thing um, performing in, in German, in French. Adieu, adieu, adieu. In English, for no fear is as strong as our love. As our love. Uh, later on, he would record the song in Japanese. On a guy, Dakala, Naka, Zuni, Wakale. In Italian, in I don't know. Yeah. You know, it's amazing. Yeah. However, his manager did a very smart thing with Udo at that time. And he said to him, following, listen, Udo, we have won this contest now. So don't think you have reached anything yet in your life. It's just the winning of that, that thing that will maybe give you fame for one or two years. And that's it. It's going to be over. So the work is starting now. Yeah. At this very moment, we have to sit down and really work on your career with that thing in the back. Of course, it's going to be a little bit maybe easier because things are, you know, in the flow. You, you're going to hit all the television shows and travel and go on tour and do this and that. But the, you have to sit down and write songs now. You have to like, now is the time. Yep. And this is what my dad realized. It's not time to party now and celebrate the victory. It's time to go to work now. And this is what he did. He wrote songs. He went on tour. He put together things. And this was the base of his phenomenal career over the past then following decades, decades. I mean, we're talking 40, 50 years that he would be on top of things yep. in Germany, Austria, Switzerland, touring Japan. Asia, South Africa, South America. I mean, the guy has been all over the place, you know, and yeah. um, amazing. So it's it's maybe also a good message to young people out there, you know. Don't think if you win something that, that, that you have it made. You have not made it yet. The winning, whatever, when you win something, this is the chance to then build something on that. But that's when you really have to get to work. Uh, you mentioned here before that he recorded the song in several languages. Mm -hmm. And the song became a hit all yes. over the world with top positions in more than 20 countries. Yes. And the song has actually been covered in more than 10 languages with <laughs> other uh, artists. For mm -hmm. example, the American pop singer Belinda Carlisle. Wow. Merci. Merci. What's your personal relation to the song Merci Chérie? Oh, of course, this is so many memories uh, in, in my childhood. I've, I have accomplished him in many tours later on when I as a young man, I was working on tour, working as a technician on tour, you know, not, not working as his son, you know, close to him in his car. I was traveling in the, in the truck, you know, yeah. sleeping in the hotels with the technicians and, and, doing uh, tours as a technician and learning and and of course you take a lot of memories from that time seeing him on stage uh, doing the following spot for example and yeah what this song means to me it's a, first of all a beautiful song you yeah. know it's not one of my top favorite but it's definitely top 10 you know my my favorite is was ich dir sagen will was ich dir sagen will fällt mir so schwer Das Blatt Papier von mir bleibt weiß und leer. 
Ich find die Worte nicht, doch glaube mir, was ich dir sagen will, sagt mein Klavier. For example, but there's many others out, out there that I totally and Messi Chéri, of course, is one of them. It's it's just beautiful and has a lot of memories. You know how music is. When you listen to music, feelings come back from that time when you heard it the first time. So my childhood comes back, you know. Yeah. And my early years, yeah. Two years after the victory with Merci Chéri, your father compete again in Eurovision as a composer. Oh, okay. Together okay. Mm -hmm. with the lyricist Walter Brandin. Mm -hmm. The song was titled Tausend Fenster mm -hmm. and was sung by Karel Gott. Oh, okay. In der gleichen Welt But this time the outcome was quite the opposite and Tausend mm -hmm. Fenster only collected two points and ended tied in 30th oh place. Okay. I think that was it then with Eurovision Song Contest for my dad. <laughs> <laughs> But do you, do you think that, that the poor result was the main reason that he never took part again? I mean, he did it three times in a row. Know that it, that, 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 I didn't even know that he uh, uh, came back as a composer oh. trying to... Uh, I, didn't even, I don't even know that story. <laughs> We didn't talk much about it. Thousand Fenster, I don't even know if I remember that song. Karel Gott is, is a, a great voice, a great was a great voice a great singer yeah but it always takes you know this i don't know i, I don't know hey uh, i don't know the reason why this didn't didn't go off you know um, hey who knows it always it also always takes the um uh the composer of course but also the performer you know yeah and to, to bring did you sing it in german yes uh, okay but not for germany No, uh, for Austria. Karel Gott sang for Austria? Yes. But wasn't he Czechish or... Ch yes. Ch ah, okay, he sang. Well, it didn't work. I don't know. <laughs> no. But maybe that's also a reason why Udo uh, was done with the Eurovision Song Contest. Not in, in, bad, in, in a bad way, but just to move on. And not like Ralf Siegel trying again, trying again, trying again, trying again. You yeah. know, would not stop. And already people in Germany are laughing about him, you know, and say, come on, this is it. You know, you had your victory once and don't try to recreate it because you had a lucky punch there. And, uh, you know, you, uh, as we say, you always have to stop when it's uh, the, uh, trying some maybe... But he couldn't stop trying, uh, Ralf Siegel. So he would go on and Udo wouldn't do that. He would just concentrate on his career and other things. And that was an episode in his life. Beautiful. He always remembered it positively. And, um, and, uh, you have to know sometimes when to stop trying, you know, maybe that was the point, you know, to, he thought, okay, I'm not going to end up trying to be a composer for, people singing the Eurovision Song Contest. But how do you think your father view his participation in Eurovision in more recent years, when he looked back on it? Uh, lately, mean? Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, mm -hmm. several big artists and groups who have taken part in Eurovision look at it afterwards as something they don't want to talk about. I'm thinking of Franz Galloway, for example. Mm -hmm. Now she didn't compose her own song, like your father did, but she won the contest the year before him but mm. never sang her song afterwards and never wanted to discuss her Eurovision participation. Hmm. Did your father wow. have any complex relation to the contest no, too I at don't all? Think so. no? I don't think so. He was very proud that he that he appeared a third time. Yeah. Um, I, I hope I'm not saying anything wrong now, but he never had a complex or uh, something that he appeared at the song, Euro, Eurovision Song Contest after all, you know. Um, because that was the kickoff for a great career, which he understood that he has to go to work now yeah. to make something of it. 
and uh, he always kept it in very good memory it's also in his book it's in the film he's very he was very proud of it is something not something he would discuss away thank god and gladly he would write other hits in his life yep. and and you know for, sometimes for people it's really hard they have this one hit wonder thing you know yep. i don't know if it was with franz gall that way but or she had other hits i don't know but then they think, oh, this is the only thing in my life. I'm going to end up singing only this one song in my life, you know. Yeah. So that's hard. That's tough, you know. But hey, there's a lot of artists out there. If you give them the option to win the Eurovision Song Contest with one song and you sing it for the rest of your life, they would sign right away. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, but uh, un unfortunately, he, she didn't wrote the song because that means money too, you know. Financially, yeah. Yeah. if you are the composer, it's a whole different story yeah. than if you're just the singer, which yeah. I didn't mean to be disrespectful towards people who are just singing other composers' songs. I mean, that's cool. Uh, a lot of artists out there working that way. Yeah, and yeah. I, I, could, I wouldn't be able to work another way either because I'm working, I'm making music, but I'm working with composers together, people yeah. who know what they're doing. Yeah. And I give my ideas. You know, I have a beat or a bass line in my head. I would talk to my the guy who is the composer in our team. And then we, the two of us would go to our producer and develop something together. I mean, not everybody is Prince out there. I mean, come on, you know, Prince would be composer, entertainer, and, and playing all the instruments on his first album. You know, these, these people are Mozarts, you know, these yeah. are crazy. And my dad was one of those super talented people, you know, you, not anybody can do that. You know, it's not a shame if you don't have that inside of you, you know, that is a, a lucky thing of the DNA, you know, it's like you have it, you know, yeah. it's amazing. Your father composed songs all his life, and according yes. to Google, we are talking about something like thousand songs in total. It's over over a thousand songs, yes. Yeah. And yes. more than 50 albums, full-length albums, have been yes, released, definitely. and selling more than 100 million copies worldwide in total. Yes, very true. Von jetzt an Freiheit wagen, Heuchelei nicht ertragen. Das Glück erfassen statt nur suchen nach mehr. Fünf einmal grad sein lassen, nicht den Tabellen passen und um die Wahrheit kämpfen. Tun was man will und wollen was man tut, ob jung oder alt, gilt unsere Devise. Deines Lebens Jetzt oder nie Und nicht irgendwann Do you know if he was extra proud of something special in his career? Yes, I do. I do know. Um, now we are going back to the story that that before I wanted to tell. Maybe maybe there's time for two stories. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, absolutely. One beautiful story is in the 50s, he would be with his colleagues, you know, musicians and other friends, four guys traveling to the United States of America in a Chevy, uh, in an old Chevy car and um, broken down, you know, going the Route 66, one dollar a day they had, you know, to sleeping in a car, you know, like, like students are, you know, what the things students are doing. Yeah. And they were hitting Las Vegas at the time. And there was the billboards saying Sammy Davis Jr. is in this and that whatever show, you know. Yeah. And so the team around Udo said, oh, Udo, you're such a big fan of Sammy Davis. You know, we're going to try to get you into the show. So they went to the, the slot machine parlor and, uh, played all the their daily dollars you know like yeah. uh, the, the the money they had for that day they would play yep. in order to make more money to buy him a ticket they ended up losing all the money having no ticket <laughs> and standing outside the the show maybe glimpsing a little bit through the door or listen from outside a little bit but they didn't get the chance to listen to Sammy Davis Jr or get Udo in there because all the four of them was not impo was impossible anyway because they didn't have the money yeah. but they were trying to get Udo in there but Udo was in, not in there either. Years later, Udo would realize a dream 
with Harold Faltermeyer in Los Angeles. Ah, okay. yeah. mm -hmm. Harold Faltermeyer was the composer of Axel F. Yep. Harold Faltermeyer, cool guy from the neighborhood here in Munich. He, we are also good friends. You know, I know him much. I know him since I'm a child. He would be a producer in Los Angeles at the time. And Udo would fulfill his dream and write an album together with Harold Faltermeyer, together with Donna Summer, blah, blah, uh, and produce this album. And there was this one song on the album that he managed to get to Sammy Davis Jr. Yeah. And Sammy loved it and he did the song. And years later, Udo went into a concert in Munich, sitting in the first row, watching Sammy Davis Jr. do the song, do the concert. Yeah. And when he came to the end, of, he didn't even expect that to happen. When he came to the end of the concert, he says, and ladies and gentlemen, now I'm very proud. For years, I'm singing this song, always the last song in my show. I'm very proud tonight. The composer of the song is in the room here, first row. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Udo Jürgens. Oh. Wow. <laughs> I'm getting tears right now. I'm telling you, yeah. this man, this man so much to him. Yeah. Can, you, can you imagine that story? Yeah. What this means to a man who has gone the way that he was, he would go. Ah, I tell you, he was sitting, he was getting up. There's even pictures of that moment where he would stand on, 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 on the stage and Sammy would reach down his arm and shake his hands and Udo would shake his hand, you know, and you would see the eyes meeting each other and this respect for each other. And Sammy did his song, you know, it's, it's, and years before he couldn't go into his show. Bah, what so what is the title of the song? The title of the song that Sammy would do at the time was If I Never Sing Another Song. Amazingly beautiful and so emotional that, that, you know, with that story in the back, uh, Udo in Las Vegas couldn't go to the show. And then, you know, it always brings tears to my eyes when I'm telling the story uh, today because I know it brought tears to the eyes of Udo when he told the story. He was so proud in a positive way, yeah. you know, like like to have it made in in the music business so far and so with so much um, Herzblut, we say in German, you know, with um, oh, heart go, in going it. Such a, yeah, yeah, going such a long way and persistence and consistent, you know, and, uh, and then finally you come to that moment when a big star that you adore sings your song as last song in, in, a, in his concert. Uh, amazing story, you know, amazing. So, by the way, guys, uh, everybody listening, check it out. Um, oh, we play it Sammy here. We, we play it here, John. Oh, you will play it? Yes. Oh, great, great, Absolutely. great. Absolutely. Oh, good, wonderful. If I never see Did Udo ever compose anything with Eurovision in mind again? Maybe not for himself to sing, but for someone else? Mm, I don't think so. I don't think so. With, with Eurovision in, in mind, not that I know of. And I think he put uh, an end to it, you know, but not in a sort of a negative way or anything. It's just that he knew that this was a time and yeah. it's... Uh, you move point, on, you know, maybe. Boop, and move on, you know. And I don't think he... I know that there are a lot of people covering his songs. Gib mir deine Angst. Yeah. For example, is a song that has been number one hit in the in, in the Netherlands by two different singers. Can you imagine that? <laughs> yeah, that's I impressive. Mean, uh, amazing. Yeah. In Holland, this song, they love it in the Netherlands. Uh, in other countries, with other songs, in other languages, but never with in mind to do that. But people who picked these songs and did that, you know. Yeah. Uh, no, here, no. I, We I, talked about Ralf Siegel before, and I know Ralf Siegel mm -hmm. since he has been in this uh, podcast several times charms mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um do you think he have has ralph siegel ever offered anything to uh udo for to compete with 
that those two talk to each other and and uh, try to make something together? Yeah. Or? Were they friends, for example? Mm, no. Okay. No. No. I don't think they were big friends. Uh, which is which is you know in 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 this crazy world you you can't be friends with everybody. No, no, know, absolutely being, not. Uh, yeah, that's nothing. Also, nothing negative or nothing against Ralph Siegel or the other way around. It's just it, it didn't just didn't came to that point. I yeah. don't know. What about you then, John? I do understand you are mm. working as a DJ in Germany and compose mm -hmm. music. Mm -hmm. Have you mm -hmm. ever come close to competing in Eurovision? <laughs> maybe the after show party, but I'm too old now, you know. <laughs> no, I you're not play. too old. Maybe I'm playing. Well, I'm not playing. You know, I'm not willing to play anymore everything. You know, it's, I'm, with 58, I've decided to... Um, I, for years, I, I'm in the event business, you know, not yeah. in the in the festival business or in the Ibiza club uh, scene or anything. This was never my business. My business came out of a playing little bars and disc discotheques in Munich. Yeah. And people who would ask me, hey, are you doing weddings? Are you doing uh, anniversaries? Are you doing company uh, Christmas parties? Are you doing social events like after show party from big television show? I say, yeah, of course I do that. If you book me, I go and do it. So I was, of course, understanding you have to be a sort of a little bit of commercial and play people what they want to hear. Yeah. because they didn't come to hear me they just come because they're invited and they want to have a good time yeah. so being an event dj is something completely different than being a superstar producer dj where you have 1000 people in the room who came that night paid a lot of money to hear you you know the events that i play people don't come to hear me john munich they come because they were invited and it's a whole different business and i love that business actually to be also a little bit like this incognito thing i i never really liked when 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 hosts of a show would um come out and say oh by the way and now after all the show then we have our dj coming in on our dj son of Udo jürgens and i'm like holy shit you know <laughs> come on i mean you know you can't announce a dj like that because what you're going to do in the heads of the people uh, now uh, that you want to make a party we, we have a saying in, in in germany you are giving them denkstoff you're giving them something to think about now Ooh. This is the son of Udo Jürgens. Hmm. Let's see what he's going to do now. And in Germany, we have that little thing, you know, where you are in a draw. People love to put you into draws. Yeah. And now you're in the draw of son of somebody. Yeah. The yeah. child of somebody. In America, it's maybe different. There's other countries handling these things differently, I think, because I lived in America a long time in New York for three years. Here in Germany, it's a little bit like, oh, Oh, the son of Udo Jürgens. Ah, uh, uh, okay, okay. Mm. So you mean Let's that it has been a problem for you that you had? You had. Yes. Okay, it's uh, a problem. In the moment, it opened a lot of doors. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah, I totally get that. But it, but it, but it also closes a lot of doors mm. because it it clo it's closing the doors in the minds of people. People are like strange sometimes, you know. Like people, you you mention that, and it it's like people getting. I don't know how to say in English, Vorurteile. People start thinking about you in a different way than um, they would think about you maybe if it, if they don't know that your father is a, a famous person. Yeah. You know, uh, pre preconceptions. Okay. Yes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. People have, uh, uh, um, I just Googled that word because <laughs> my English is so bad, uh, getting preconceptions uh, to, towards you. And that's actually sad. But that's the way it is. So I always ask people to don't make a big thing out of it, please. Yeah. Just announce John is here or John Munich, whatever. That, you know, that's why I also did my, my nickname from New York as uh, from the New York time. Uh, people called me Munich because I'm from Munich. Yeah. So later on, I turned my DJ name into John Munich. So it, 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 it doesn't give people to think about, oh, John Jürgens, is this the son of Udo Jürgens? Uh, giving them too much to think about. They shouldn't think, they should make party. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. It opens a lot of doors. It's beautiful. But it also closes some doors or gets people, unfortunately, in, into preconceptions, you know. On December 21st, 2014, Udo Jürgens mm. died unexpectedly of acute mm -hmm. uh, heart failure while walking mm -hmm. on Lake Constance. 
during mm-hmm. a tour break at mm-hmm. the height of his career. Definitely, yes. Sadly, your father passed away before the contest was to return to Austrian soil. I know, he was he was scheduled, yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I believe that there were some plans to include him in the show somehow? Yeah, exactly, there was. I, I don't know exactly the plans uh, because they were working on it already. Yeah. But I was not involved in, in, the, in the project, of course, you know, so I don't... I think he would be involved into working with several musicians and a big orchestra, maybe do a medley or something. And uh, But exactly, I, I don't know. Exactly, I don't know. Mm. On a more personal level, what kind of man was your father? He was a very loving guy, a uh, um, peaceful guy, very, he loved harmonic, to be ham- harmonish, you know, harmonic yeah, yeah. Uh, w- with, with people around him. Uh, he sometimes would drift away a little bit in his thoughts, you know, you would talk to him and, uh, and then after a while you wouldn't realize he's not there anymore. And then he would ask him, hey, Papa, uh, excuse me, I'm here. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> and he would be in his world of music. You know, he would you would always see him tapping with his fingers on the on the table when you're in a restaurant or on his lap, you know, on his legs uh, and playing something and and he always had music in his head, you know, like there was music constantly running through his head, bass lines, melodies, ideas, when we would be traveling, you know, he, and we having a conversation and he, and then he says, Oh, stop, write this down. It's a line. It's a line. <laughs> and, and I said, what is a line? Yeah, write it down, write it down. He picks up the phone. He calls the guys who are working with him, uh, um, developing uh, lyrics, you know, because yeah. he has often ideas about lyrics. And he would write a lot of lyrics himself, but a lot of lyrics are written by others upon his ideas of often, not all, but often upon his ideas. So he came up with an idea, for example, for a song called Na und, which, which, which means, so what? Yeah. You know, yeah. Na und. And then everything around Na und, he would be in the family say, Wenn der Kummer dich wirkt und kein Mensch für dich birgt, wenn du Schulden hast bis über die Ohren, wenn die Hoffnung verwelkt, das Finanzamt dich melkt und dich aussaugt wie ein Vampir, wenn dich die Freundin erpresst und deine Frau dich verlässt, bleib gelassen und sage zu dir, na und, na und, zum Durchdrehen noch lange kein Or, or, or another song um, called um, Alles, was gut tut. Everything that, that makes you feel good, you know? Yep. So he would ask us in the family, hey, tell me everything that makes you feel good. And he would write it down. And out of these lyrics, he would call somebody and then and, and develop uh, lyrics out of it. What I'm trying to say is uh, his life was 1000% music. His life was music. And uh, no, and then uh, he loved good food, restaurants, a good wine, a jazz, a jazz uh, bar with a cool piano player. When, when I studied in New York and he came over to visit me, we went to the Broadway shows. We went to have a good, good dinner. We, we went out to the clubs. We had a good time. He was a loving, harmonic person, you know, like that you could have a great time with, you know, and then he would never be arrogant or treating people uh, like, like, for example, in a restaurant, you know, um, a guy who serves you the dinner, the guy who drives you in a taxi cab, you know, the guy who opens you the door in a hotel. He would always have a little chat, always have a little talk, always have a a word or a time for, for people around him and not be like this superstar guy, you know. In, in general, and especially in, in the private life, traveling, uh, going to his house in Portugal and going to his little uh, restaurants in Portugal that he loved and meeting up with people and being in, in unquote, normal, you yeah, know, yeah. and not being that European superstar, you know. He loved going to New York for example, because over there he would not be that superstar. He would walk the streets and people didn't recognize him. And of course, it's nice to be recognized because, you know, it gives you that feeling, oh, people know me, people love me. But let me tell you, going to New York was the greatest for him or whatever, Los Angeles or traveling parts of the world because people did not recognize him and he would be just Udo. That's it, you know, like no more. 
and uh, great we had great times also in, in in my circle of friends you know it would be just oh that's john's dad oh that's cool you know <laughs> <laughs> but when john's dad went to the piano and played something yeah man these guys were dropping out of sky i'm telling you they, 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 they didn't know what was going on yeah because udo was a, a guy and this is something you have or you don't have it yeah and he had it yeah Udo was a guy, he would enter a room with 100 people inside the room and people would turn his their heads towards the door where he would enter. Yeah. In Germany, you could say, or oh, Austria, yeah, of course, it's Udo Jürgens. But I saw this happen in New York. We would come into rooms, into bars, people would turn their heads and look at him with a certain look on their face. It's like somebody special has entered the room. How would they know? Yeah. Because he had that aura that positive, wonderful, great, cool aura of a guy who you want to meet. Not because he's a big star, because something special about him. And uh, what, what really showed it to me is that it also happened in other countries, not only Germany, Austria, Switzerland, where he was, of course, you know, on the streets walking, everybody knew him. Yeah. Besides being a great musician and a Eurovision legend, how do you want just to remember him? Well, how would I love to the world to remember him? His music says a lot. You know, if you listen to the lyrics, of course, sometimes, you know, people who don't speak German, it's hard, you know, but um, his lyrics are... Super strong part of his music. Yeah, of course I, his composition. I get that because I work as a hairdresser, and yesterday I had a customer who is from Germany, and I had to mm -hmm. ask her and and tell her that I'm go were going to talk to you today, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. uh, she said that oh my god he has written so fantastic lyrics, and she gave me two mm -hmm. examples of songs. Oh good. She good. she she said that. I should Google and translate the lyrics for myself to, mm -hmm. to read of the songs Aber bitte mit Sahne and <laughs> Ein Ehrenwertes Haus. Yes. These are major, major top 10 Udo Jürgens hits, okay? Yeah. yeah. And and aber bitte mit Sahne is is a funny song, yep. but it also has a message in there. Exactly. And an Ehrenwertes Haus definitely has a message in there. Yeah. I don't know if you already googled it and translated it. Yes, I have. It, I have. But It's very oh, clever. Great. It's extremely clever. Very clever. Very uh, saying things and putting things to a point. Uh, there's another song that uh, you can Google or the listeners maybe too and translate it if you have the time for it and the nerve. I don't know. But it's called uh, Fünf Minuten vor Zwölf, which I think in our, it's, it's very up to date to the times we are living in right now with the climate problem, with our problem going on um, in the east right now it's horrible but uh, everywhere in the world it's five minutes to 12 fünf minuten for 12 and if we don't manage to put the wheel around and change something it's it's gonna hit us very hard you know yeah. and um, and this song talks about that too and it's symphonic it's a 10 minute 11 minute piece of music Doch ich sah auch ein Tal, das voll blühender Bäume war, einen einsamen See, wie ein Spiegel so hell und klar. Und ich sah auf die Uhr, fünf Minuten vor zwölf. His manager, back in the time after he won this Eurovision Song Contest, said to him, 
or Uru said to him, look, I want to write songs. You have to talk about things that people don't usually talk about, you know, about the chrysanthemum that are growing somewhere and the white, <laughs> the sailing boats are going in front of the Greece island and everything is beautiful. You have to talk about the light in the refrigerator when you open the refrigerator, about your loneliness at home when you're sitting there having nobody, about when you, about the fact that you have never been to New York and you're dreaming about going to New York and how I'm going to accomplish that going to New York. And when you go out the, your, the room with your wife and say, I'm going to go and get some cigarettes, you're smelling the parquet floor in, in when you go outside the, your apartment, walking down the stairs, going on the streets, getting your cigarettes. And then you, your thoughts come and think, ah, man, now I could go. I have my my ID, I got some money in the pocket, just take a cab, go to the airport and run away. And in the end, he didn't do it. He turned around and went back to his old life with his wife and he never followed his dreams. Yeah. And this is, I've never been to New York, this song. There's even a musical has been made out of it. Ich, ich war noch niemals in New York. Und auf der Treppe dachte er, wie wenn das jetzt ein Aufbruch wäre. Ich müsste einfach gehen für alle Zeit, für alle Zeit. Ich war noch niemals in New York, ich war noch niemals auf Hawaii, ging nie durch San Francisco in zerrissenen Jeans. And yeah, these, these, are, these are incredible things and he would realize that he would have to talk about things that are not just, you know, Halligalli party, Mallorca, Ballermann, you know, um, be a little bit more deep uh, about life, you know. Thank you so much for this nice and warm conversation, John. I'm very oh, thankful. Oh, I hope it was okay with my, with my horrible absolutely, English and all that. Absolutely, absolutely, uh, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, believe me, I'm very thankful that you want to make this episode in honor of your father together with me. Oh, it was a pleasure. It was a pleasure, definitely. I hope you don't think that we have missed anything. I, we, we, I, well, we have missed a thousand things. We could talk well, about your father for weeks and months. <laughs> but I think we, we got the essence of it. Yeah. And one, one little story that made me so proud of being his son, I'm going to tell you in the end now. Yeah, please. He had a house in Portugal. I'm in that house right now, uh, in that place that he loved so much, where he wrote a lot of music and worked a lot. And I cherish that place. And one day I go with my wife and my children to a restaurant. We would love to go to a restaurant that he loved and eat food that he loved yep. because we went together a lot. So that was a time when there was not a lot of tourists. It was like November or something. And the restaurant was almost empty and there was not much going on. And it was that, that little winter garden kind of open situation. You know, you're sitting inside, but you're kind of still outside, sort of. Yep. Anyway, but the door, the door, the little door opens and in comes 11 guys with instruments. As we find out later, the guys are from Porto, dentist students who are making money by making music. Yeah. And they go inside the restaurant and start playing. And the first song they are playing is Griechischer Wein. Oh. But in a different version. Yeah. In a, the rhythm is a little bit different. And they're not talking about Griechischer Wein, the Greek wine. They're talking about the Vino Verde, the green wine. That is the wine in Portugal, yeah, the famous yeah. wine, yeah. very special taste. So, and then my Portuguese friend Manuel gets up, walks to the guys and said, do you know the, the song that you were just playing? The composer of the songs, son, is sitting right here in the restaurant. And the guys couldn't, couldn't believe it when I was getting up one meter nine six foot two yeah a big tall german austrian guy because they always thought it was a portuguese guy composing that okay. song okay <laughs> because that song became a national anthem yeah. in portugal yeah vino verde yeah so we became like oh exchanging telephone numbers talking taking pictures going crazy and i'm telling them so proud to play my father's songs i love it you know the the, the grisha wine in vino verde and, uh, so we keep eating these guys doing th th four more songs leaving game over <laughs> four days left we are going to a completely different restaurant a chicken piri piri place 40 kilometers away from where we were before and, and the place is down packed 
full because it's 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 I don't know Sunday night or whatever and and we're sitting down to take an order the door opens and in come 11 guys with instruments it's our guys from Porto from Porto coming into the same place and I can't believe what I'm seeing they're seeing us sitting in the middle of the restaurants at least 100 people around us with with on the tables they're walking towards us it's so amazing bending down around our table 11 guys with the contrabass the guitar the saxophone the singer the guitar and whatever and very slowly they're starting to play the song Vino Wert Griechischer Wein <laughs> in the room didn't know what was going on and in the end the whole room would stand up and give applause to the musicians we are standing sitting there with tears in our eyes and then of course after they played the song big hugging and kissing and hello and how are you and good to see you again I tell you and this makes you so proud to have little experiences I picked up the phone I called Udo right away and I told him listen this story I have to tell you and he was so proud and, and it's so amazing what what music and what your work as a musician and composer can do in your life to you and he would always appreciate it so much and be so thankful of these things to happen to him in his life yeah and we just carry that feeling on in our life you know beautiful beautiful john so thank you Emil. thank you so so much so all the best to you and you know that that Sweden has Sweden has been also a part of the history of my grand grandfather who had to flee from from Russia. At that time, his wife already fled from Russia. A big hug, big uh, all the best to you, and let the thank best. you so much. You're very welcome, yeah. Amy. Take care. All the best. Bye. Bye bye. Was ich dir sagen will, sagt mein Klavier.